0: Today on The Vergecast, Alex Heath joins us to talk about the executive shakeup at Meta. Then, Andy Hawkins will join us to round up all the electric car news from this week. And of course, we've got WWDC predictions for next week. All that and more, coming up right after this. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking. So why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com designed for work.
1: Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome
3: to RoadChast, the flagship podcast of Vaporware Cars. A phrase which, by the way, is taking hold across the industry. We have Vaporware is like a very 90s tech phrase. And I, I want to say this show brought it back. Yes. Because everyone's saying it again. Like there was another, I will say another site which I love and respect. I don't want to like but they used the phrase vaporware cars in the headline, and I was like, that was me. Yeah. I know I did that. It's good to have a legacy. It's all <laughs> I want. <laughs> Just dunk on the fake cars. We'll do that later. Andy Hawkins is going to join us. We're going to talk about the car industry but right now. I'm your friend, Eli. David Pierce is here.
4: Hi, I'm your friend who will always write nice things about you on Facebook when you quit your job. Always, no
3: matter what. <laughs> Congratulations on your big next
4: step.
2: Uh, Alex
3: Kranz is here.
2: I won't, I will go get my door and tell them <laughs> to leave me alone.
3: <laughs> Alex Heath is here. Hi, I am sick of the lean in jokes. All right. There's a lot of news this week. Sheryl Sandberg has left Meta, formerly known as Facebook. We've got a bunch of car news to talk about. WWDC is next week. There's some gadgets. But let's start with what I would say is the news of the week. Sheryl Sandberg, who was the COO of Facebook for 14 years, and really the architect of the first version of that company, which is now known as Meta, kind of surprised everyone and just announced she was leaving yesterday. And then there was a flurry of press. And I will say one of the funniest things that can happen in media is when like 19 websites all publish an exclusive interview at the same. We did not. We did not put the word exclusive in our headline. But Alex talked to Cheryl yesterday. But everyone else had it. Like it was just a a PR blitz of Cheryl Sandberg leaving Facebook. Alex, you talked to her. You're obviously our reporter on the, the meta beat. What's going on there?
5: Yeah, I would say that this was the most shocking, non-shocking news uh, if you've been following Facebook uh, like I have uh, or work there. It wasn't a surprise necessarily that she left. I guess the timing was a little bit of a shock, but honestly, this has been the biggest most speculated question that I hear over and over from current and former employees is, you know, when is Cheryl going to leave? That's been the question for the last few years. So it was really a matter of, uh, you know, when and not if. And turned out that the when was very soon. She's going to be officially stepping away, but will stay on the board uh, this fall. So w-
3: why was it a non-surprise? Why are people speculating so much that she was going to leave?
5: She's really stepped back from what she was brought there to do, which was scale the ads business. And people have been using this—I don't know where this came from—but this phrase, like "quote adult in the room," which I find to be, frankly, ridiculous. But that was how it was kind of positioned early on, was she's was, like the grown-up that's there to like scale this startup, and you know she did that successfully on the ads business, but really you could almost chart it to the 2016 election since that period her influence internally and also you know public visibility has waned quite a bit and it's happened as zuckerberg has taken more control over a lot of the areas that he used to give to sandberg cuz back in the day he really didn't care about things like Comms, legal <laughs> areas that uh, now he has to care about. Uh, and he's really just exerted a lot more influence. Uh, he's always obviously been the most influential person, but I think people have noticed that her profile has, has been reduced.
2: I kind of want to push back on that a little. Cause like he did have to care about those things, right? Like that's why yeah. she was hired. And I think that like that idea of the adult in the room, which is like, we're kind of making all of these tech founders sound like babies, but they were also kind of being babies, like most of them weren't familiar with all the big business things that they needed to be doing, like having functional HR departments, legal departments, all of those expectations. And so people like her were brought into these companies to, to make them real, to make them like viable and last longer than the star of the the founders, right?
5: Yeah. I mean, Zuckerberg was 23, I think, when Sandberg joined. And now, you know, he is the same age she was when she originally joined. So a lot has changed. And yeah, he has to care about this stuff. And I mean, really, like he just didn't, he didn't want to actually focus on the business. He wanted to focus on the user side of scaling Facebook at the time. And Cheryl really became the archetype for having, you know, a business minded Leader, come into a tech startup and do the stuff that the, let's be honest, male founder didn't want to do, which was like actually building a business and like making money off this thing.
4: Well, and it's kind of a relic of a bygone era to some extent in tech. Like you just never see it anymore. But there was that time where like, you know, Sergey and Larry brought on Eric Schmidt and the Twitter guys brought on Dick Costolo. And there was this sense of like, okay, we're, we're going to build a thing and then we're going to bring in somebody who knows how to sort of manage a large thing to manage that large thing. Uh, that is not how it works anymore. And you got to figure if Facebook was starting now, Mark would probably be less inclined for a bunch of reasons to like bring somebody up as high on the sort of, podium with him as he did with Cheryl, but it was, it was a relatively
3: non-weird move 15 years ago when this happened, right? Well, the Eric Schmidt comparison is really interesting. So that, that that happened five-ish years before. Larry Page and Sergey Brin have always hated being in charge of Google, <laughs> like famously are not actually in charge of Google anymore, even though they totally control it. They own all of the shares of Alphabet, all the controlling shares of Alphabet. So Larry Page is like the most powerful man in tech that n- literally no one ever hears from. I mean, it's kind of a perfect setup. That's the dream. <laughs> That's all I want. Just like quietly <laughs> behind um, But Eric Schmidt, they brought him in as CEO of Google. And one of his remits was like, I need to build a business. And the person who built the business inside of Google during that time was Sheryl Sandberg, right? She mm-hmm. led the charge into Google's advertising business. She built that whole system. And then she meets Mark Zuckerberg, he's very focused on the user side, has no idea how they're going to make money and brings her in. And she builds the Facebook advertising machine. So like a lot of what we think of as money on the Internet was built or scaled by Sheryl Sandberg, which is not how I think she thinks of her legacy. And I I think that dichotomy is like very difficult to reconcile.
5: I think she said in one interview that she was put on Earth to scale organizations or something like that, which is is quite a thing to say as you're calling.
3: (laughs) Right. But I don't think like that's one way of thinking about it. She's put on earth to make a small thing really big. I was put on earth to build personalized advertising. The internet is a very different sentence to monetize the hell out of stealing your privacy. Like the Sheryl (laughs) Sandberg story. (laughs) And like kind of unapologetically. And I, you mentioned all the scandals around the election. Sheryl Sandberg is the one who said, I don't think anyone was radicalized around by Facebook around the insurrection. Yeah. Right. Like, She's always sort of said, nope, this isn't us, even as she is aggressively scaled whatever business into personalization or targeting or filter bubbles or whatever criticisms you might have at Facebook. They all kind of were down to the business
2: model. Is that why she's gone? Like, Alex, is is that kind of like why internally they wanted to get rid of her because of that like reluctance?
5: No. So I, I do not buy this narrative that's already out there that she was pushed out or I mean, it's clear that you know, her and Mark are not as tight as they used to be. But, you know, she's had a lot going on with, you know, her late husband. Like, I don't think she ever fully recovered from, you know, her husband dying years ago. And she kind of... Checked out from Facebook at a time when it was going through a lot of this controversy around the 2016 election and and after in Cambridge Analytica. And yeah, I just think the company's in a different spot. I mean, yeah, like you could tie a lot of the problems to like what she oversaw, especially as it relates to comms and she oversaw the policy group, you know, for a long time. But she for a long time, as long as I can remember, has not actually been over the group that makes the products for advertisers, right? Who like builds the targeting. She's been over the salespeople, the people that are responsible for selling the stuff that Zuckerberg's team makes. So I think that was always a tension is that she was always like on the receiving end of like the downstream effect of like what the product <laughs> team made. And so, yeah, she, she built, you could say she built the ads business. She certainly built Facebook as a reputable place for advertisers in the eyes of the market, but the engineering, the code was never really under her domain. So that that's like an important distinction that I think is, is important
3: for people to know. The flip side of it is the thing you're talking about. She did oversee policy, Right. mean facebook just renamed itself and they're wholly focused on the metaverse they're wholly focused on this next generation platform like one question i've had around facebook around meta for a long time is like internally do they have they do they think they've hit the end of the road on what they can accomplish with social networks and advertising and now that is their core business that needs to be maintained hopefully grow a little bit but the era of rapid growth there is over and they've got to focus on the next thing. And like running that thing is no longer, if you're Sheryl Sandberg and you you're on this earth to scale organizations, like your runway to scale that is potentially over.
5: Yeah. I mean, she hasn't been into the metaverse stuff that for sure. And the legacy that she has is like no longer the future of the company, right? Like you just said it like they, they've stalled out really on user growth. Like their new COO, Javier Olivan is like the guy who got, Facebook to a place where like they have reached almost everyone on planet earth with internet access. So they the new focus is like, how do we compete with TikTok? How do we retrain our algorithms to be able to like predict what you want before you tell us, which was, is like the key insight that TikTok has like ushered into Silicon Valley that I've, I've kind of realized that in, in recent years. So that's what they're focused on, on the social media side. But yeah, I don't think she was in it for the long haul for this,
3: this metaverse stuff. The other thing that's I think, really notable here is like if the COO of almost any other company leaves, we would not talk about it. There would not be a flurry of press. We wouldn't open the verches with it. Like there are not a lot of CEOs you could name. Like Jeff Williams is a like, smart guy. He seems very capable. He's next in line to be the CEO. He's in charge of the Apple Watch. If he left, you'd be like, and Jeff Williams left. And like we'd move <laughs> on. Sandberg is like a, a major figure. Right? She was, she was perceived as having been in charge of Facebook in some major way. Even Zuckerberg's note about it was like, moving forward, we will not replace her. We will have a different, more traditional kind of COO. I think maybe for people who have been following it for 14 years, describe why she holds that status. Because I think it's an important thing to underline that for a long time, Cheryl was one of the most powerful people in the Valley because she was perceived as the person in charge of Facebook.
5: Yeah. I've been trying to think about Why that was, I mean, they certainly positioned her that way up until Cambridge Analytica when like Mark really took the reins back in a kind of full way. It's such a good question. I mean, it's tied up, I think, in like her persona with lean in as well. And just like she really leaned into being a public figure in a way that I think has been unusual for COOs, like you said, to date. But yeah, why is it? I mean, because she she did scale at least the sales side of the ads business and let them kind of hone in on how they were going to compete with Google having come from Google. So she was critical in that way. But I really just can't overstate how like in the last several years, like I literally like last week, I was a Facebook employee was saying, like, we're all just asking, like, where is Cheryl? Like, we don't see her anymore. She's not involved in things anymore. She hasn't been. She's done a few things and she's still been on earnings calls and stuff. And will open the office in Dubai and stuff like that. But she hasn't been involved in the nuts and bolts of the business really. Um, like she used to be for quite a while. So I think people were just waiting to see when this was going to happen. And it's almost like, you know, I liked how Casey Newton put it in his column where it's like, you know, when do you leave? And like, is there a chance that you leave a little too late? Right. Where it's like, maybe you should have left earlier when you were. And that's, that's an interesting thing to think about in retrospect is like her influence had already Really waned for a while, and maybe she should have left when it was still at its peak. But yeah, I don't know. It's an, it's gonna. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of people writing about this. I don't know if I have much more to say about her legacy at this at this point.
4: There's just such an interesting personality dynamic at play there, which I always found really fascinating. And I think like it, it's been very clear over the last several years that. Mark was dragged into being like the public figure who goes in front of Congress and has to sort of answer for what the company is doing and all that stuff, like kind of kicking and screaming. And that is just not like the thing that interests him in a way that like, to your point, Alex, that was Cheryl's sweet spot, right? Like she's, she's good at that. It's a thing that interested her, like the, it's very funny to read the interviews and imagine that the underlying thing is she's running for president because it makes absolute perfect sense if everything she says is followed by Vote for me 2024. (laughs) She was in line to be treasury
3: secretary if uh, Hillary Clinton won. Yeah,
4: exactly. And so I think especially in the early days of Facebook, it just made for a sort of perfect dichotomy where like Mark, Mark had essentially unlimited power and could just be the one building the thing and reaping the benefits and going to Hawaii to go surfing while Cheryl was the face of the thing. And that worked really well for a really long time. And she, I think, was a good face for Facebook longer than I think anyone would have expected to be honest. And then it really turned really hard the last few years. And I think it just like it's it's just really interesting to look back because it was her stock was up so high and then just sort of cratered over the last couple of years. And part of that is self-inflicted, like the things she said after January 6th. And part of that is like how we've come to view meta and Facebook over the last couple of years.
5: Yeah. I mean, she's a lifelong Democrat and it's hard to remember now, but Facebook was beloved by Democrats up until the Trump election, right? Like Obama came and spoke at Facebook headquarters and they really were like in lockstep with the party. Uh, in a lot of ways. And Cheryl's definitely lost a lot of political clout as a result of the Trump era and how people perceive Facebook's role in that, whether it's like fair or not. And, um, I think she feels that. And she told me she wants to focus more on, you know, her philanthropy and lean in. And I think the Roe v. Wade stuff is, is a obviously very big deal for her work. And, um, I think she wants to be able to do that stuff and I have a feeling that really, I'm not going to say leaning in, oh my God, leaning into that work <laughs> is probably uh, hard when you're also the COO of Facebook slash meta and there's all that baggage there. And so being able to just kind of cut ties uh, now if she's really wanting to do that, it makes sense. And like, she's getting remarried this summer. And like, I think it's just kind of a new chapter thing. I, I really have asked around and I, I don't think there was like some big disagreement here that led to like a final straw. I think this is, if you've studied the org chart tea leaves, like I do, you've seen this coming for the last couple of years. She's been setting up her reports to, to basically run everything without needing her there.
2: She's not the only one, right? Like we we saw Peter Thiel left the board mm-hmm. pretty recently too. Like there's a lot of these kind of mentors of Mark are are leaving. It's almost like, yeah, okay, we did we did what we could do here. We've given you as much knowledge as we can.
3: <laughs> You're on your own, buddy. You're on your own. <laughs> or maybe
2: he's saying, I got enough out of you. Get out.
3: I I think it might be a combo.
2: Yeah, like yeah. like it definitely feels like the business, you know, is is really transformed. It's changed. It's grown out of those those early stages where we all kind of like ripped on it and now we're like oh it's a big deal now
3: well so let's talk about you know you can't say org charts to me without me taking the bait instantly and immediately (laughs) mark announced a bunch of stuff but it does seem like not a lot of changes Mm. like there are some new people in some new spots Mm -hmm. but they're all the same people that everybody knew
5: yeah all the same people more people reporting to mark i think this is mark just you know more fully kind of saying like i am running things. I'm running everything like intricately. So like the head of HR, head of legal is now reporting to him directly, which hasn't happened, I think ever, uh, or at least since like the very earliest days. Yeah. I mean, now aside from Boz, the CTO who's over reality labs, I would say that the second most powerful executive is definitely the new COO, Javi, as he's known internally, who is basically invisible externally, but is the, the growth czar and is over a lot, including all of integrity and growth and <laughs> marketing and and all the salespeople now too. So uh, those are the, I mean, besides Zuck, it's Boz and Javi definitely are the two most powerful executives.
4: Both of those names you just said, Alex, I think are super interesting because the extent to which Cheryl singled out Boz in the interview with you as the guy mm-hmm. leading the metaverse charge, it's like if you're betting the company on the metaverse and Boz is the guy in charge of the metaverse, like Shrepp never got talked about, the the previous C- CTO, in those kinds of terms. He was just, he was more of a, a sort of, you know, wizard behind the scenes making stuff happen. Boz is this like big personality out in front mm-hmm. building the thing. So I was very surprised to see how much like shine she was sort of putting on him. Maybe I'm reading too much into that. I read that much more negatively. Tell me more.
3: Uh, just in the sense of like, yeah, I don't know, it's that guy's problem. Like, <laughs> 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 you know, like, I don't know, I don't know, these like nerds and face computers, like talk to bots. Like, I just like felt it very differently. That's fair. <laughs> well, and then Javi, Mark
4: coming out saying Javi is going to have a more traditional COO role felt like a very clear sense that like this is not my partner in the business in the way that he used to talk about Cheryl. He's not on my level, like there is Mark and then there's a bunch of people who work for Mark. And yeah. that is sort of clearer than ever as the as the org chart. And it just seems like he is now clearer than ever that he is like everything that happens here has to roll up through me. And whether that's a good idea or not, I think remains to be seen. But it's interesting to see it all sort of consolidate more and more underneath mark as like the sole guy who runs everything i would
5: just push back and say that has always been the case mark has always (laughs) been the sole guy who has run
3: everything
2: it hasn't though right because like we saw cheryl even now we're seeing her still get like blamed for a lot of the issues like right
3: well that's just the thing she says yeah
2: but like she's been a pretty handy scapegoat and now it's like he doesn't have those anymore
3: but like Mark Zuckerberg literally faces a shareholder vote every year where the shareholders of Facebook are like there should be more oversight over Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> right. And then he has all of the controlling stock and he says no and then they lose the vote. Yeah. This happens almost every year. No, it's every year. It's every year. It's it's crazy. <laughs> That's
4: true in the big picture in like the in like the Larry Page way, right? Like that is true the sort of absolute control, but in terms of like day-to-day decisions. It just seems like Mark has like beaten this drum over the last several years that like he just wants to be in the room for more stuff and there have been these stories about like things moving slowly because only Mark could decide on them and a lot of like oversight and content moderation questions and it just seems like that trend continues to go where like the only person who can thumbs up or thumbs down anything is going to be Mark. And I don't know how you run a company as big as Meta on that.
3: He said a thing to Casey several years ago maybe just a couple, I don't know what is time where he's like, <laughs> I just need Facebook to, to be understood. Like I don't need to be liked. We just, I need to talk more so people understand us. Yeah. And I actually think Sandberg did a bad job of that. Cause she was always in politics sales mode, yeah. which was her role. And I think she just like, when that role is needed, she's excellent at it. But Mark is the one who goes on Capitol Hill and is like, Senator, we sell ads. Right. And he's got the credibility as the guy who built it to like cut you down in that way. And that's still like his highlight moment on Capitol Hill. Like, <laughs> He's the one who made it. And I think he's he's comfortable taking that on. Actually, I will pay Mark Zuckerberg a compliment at this time. Ready? This then the virtual has to be over. Forever. <laughs> Compare and contrast to to Jack Dorsey, right? Who refuses to lead Twitter mm-hmm. yeah. and is like constantly performing this guilt that Twitter requires a leader. And so decisions don't get made, and when decisions do get made, it's his deputies who take the heat and like receive the harassment campaigns. And Dorsey's like, "I swim above it all," because at the end of the day, Twitter should just be us or like whatever he <laughs> says, right? Like, whereas Mark is like, "No, I'm definitely in control of Facebook. Like these are my choices," and I I think that is just a much healthier like attitude for the like if you're gonna be that powerful you might as well be like, yes, in fact, I make all the decisions. Like, I don't think Rockefeller and Carnegie <laughs> sat around being like, why do I control the oil industry? Like, right. they're like, no, I got it. And I think Mark has like, inhabits that in a way that I'm not, this is not like, I'm, I'm complimenting Mark Zuckerberg, not John Rockefeller, or Andrew Carnegie. I just want to make that very clear. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. I went to a school with a literal church called Rockefeller chapel. Like <laughs> I'm deeply aware of the problems with Rockefeller. Um, I don't think that like Dorsey takes that role, and I think Zuckerberg actually wants that role. Like he wants to be the one who invents the next future, invents this next platform, brings it into existence. I think that he has not actually done that, right? Like I think that's the thing he wants. He wants to be the innovator who le- leads us into a future. I do not think the blue app is that thing.
2: I mean, it innovated the way elections work. You don't want that. (laughs) That was an innovation. You don't want that.
3: You don't get Rockefeller (laughs) Chapel because you did 2016.
2: (laughs) No, I get it. Yeah. Like, I think that's also why, you know, Twitter is not the big behemoth it is, like that Facebook is, right? Like, Facebook is enormous. Twitter is relatively small, comparatively. And I think that is partially because, like, Dorsey doesn't own
5: it.
3: (laughs) One company has a leader and the other one doesn't.
5: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Also, just like a, a consistent vision. And, like, a level of execution, which is Javi, the new COO, really represents that, like, no other social media company has, like, demonstrated besides maybe TikTok now in terms of the scale that they were able to achieve. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're all very correct in saying, like, Zuckerberg controls everything, but I really, I don't think we should understate, like, Javi and Boz are definitely, like, the two sides of the brain. Like, Javi's, like, the here and now, Boz is the future, Mark's very focused on the future. But I think Javi has a lot of problems ahead of him. Because like he's also over the products, like the ads products that they have to build to solve all the
4: Apple stuff, the regulation stuff, all of that. Well, and he's the one who has to get meta to the metaverse he has to fund it (laughs) yeah he has to fund the metaverse and he has to like make reels a big enough business long enough that that this company continues to be like a viable thing all the way through however long it's going to take them to build the next thing and i think that is like it's a weird stage of like i think managed decline is sort of overstating the situation but it kind of feels like that where it's like okay this is probably as big and powerful as this thing is ever going to be and the goal is just to keep it as close to that as you can until we see if the next thing is real, and that's that's very different from like growth hacking your way to you know giant social media superstardom.
3: Actually, uh, we gotta let you go, Alex. But one last thing, I just want to ask you about the future of all these products, reels, whatever. Is this content recommendation system? Zaka said it's gonna be run by AI in some way. Day after Sandberg leaves, Meta's head of AI is leaving, and that group is being re- re- reorged. Is that related? Is that a big shift? Is this? Just shake up time. What's going on? It's shake up time. There's
5: a big focus. I think it was probably the biggest focus besides the metaverse stuff to make AI a bigger priority throughout the company and specifically TikTok's flavor of AI, which is not like you tell me a bunch of things about your interests and then I show you stuff I think you like, like I'll just show you stuff I think you like and I will learn from your passive consumption of it, which was like really a, a new way of thinking about how to do recommendations that I think took Facebook by surprise with how much people liked it. And so they've, they're have they reorging the whole company, not just with this head of AI leaving, uh, but in other ways uh, that I'll report on soon to really focus on um, how can we recommend content to you as well as TikTok does. And they really do see it as like existential to staying where they are just in the current 2D era of social media <laughs> and they're th- investing a lot in it so that's like the next like near-term chapter to watch there as it
3: relates to that all right well that's a good place to end it with a tease for another blockbuster alexy scoop <laughs> stay tuned i love it thank you so much yeah thanks guys we'll be back in a minute with andy hawkins talk cars we'll be right back
0: support for this podcast comes from canva They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work.
3: We're back. Andy Hawkins is here. Hey, Andy. Hello. How's it going?
6: It's going great. How are you guys?
3: And we are doing well. We're going to make a hard shift from Sheryl Sandberg and the future of AI in the metaverse to cars and the graphics inside the cars. Everyone just come for this ride. It's going to be great. <laughs> there's <laughs> graphics. Yeah, it's all the same. It's all the metaverse in the end. <laughs> so actually, there's a bunch of car news I want to talk about with you. Uh, but I want to start with this trend that I know you've been paying a lot of attention to which is game companies are signing deals to put their game engines in cars. So Volvo just signed a deal to use Unreal Engine from Epic in its EVs. What is going on here?
6: Yeah, I think it's it's kind of an interesting trend because I think that the game companies have obviously stated an interest in sort of expanding beyond the world of just games. They want to be involved in film and television. And now it looks like the automotive world is a very... Uh, attractive target for them as well. The, uh, Epic actually has an office in Detroit that they, uh, from which they uh, interact with a, a variety of, of the automakers that are based there. And Volvo, uh, obviously not based in Detroit, based in Germany, uh, Sweden, but they're the first European uh, automaker to make a deal with uh, with Epic. Uh, to use Unreal Engine for, and I quote, photorealistic visualization in its next generation of EVs. So uh, it's basically, boils down to like, you know, just better, prettier, nicer to look at uh, HMI uh, in, these, in these cars.
3: Wait, what's HMI?
6: Uh, human-machine interface.
2: I got to ask because I was like reading this piece and I'm like, I love all of these things. I love reading about all of these things. Isn't a human-machine interface just a UI isn't this just like a fancy way to say UI?
6: We're just giving fancier names to very pre-established.
3: No, you can't be a UI expert and then be like, but I also don't work at Apple. Like, so you got to create a new industry for you to be the leader. Yeah, like Alex, do you want to be a user or do you want to be a human? Like, yeah, and then the car you have to. Like, I'm gonna start calling my car the machine. The machine. I'm gonna take the machine out to the store. The
2: machine is low on gas today. Like, what is this? Is this just, you know how it's good. car companies for the longest time have been so slow to improve their human machine interface, right? Like, that was the whole deal of Tesla is it made it, they put a tablet in there and everybody else was like, we're going to do this garbage, like Subaru's on-star <laughs> monstrosity. And like, this just feels like they're still behind. Like, they're still like not getting the point. No, but now they're using Unreal Engine. Yeah, they're using, but they're still calling it Human well, Machine they, yeah, Interface. this is the thing, right? Is, yeah. Like, why don't you just get the lady who made Mac OS? She can design use some user interface.
3: Alex, I it. understand that you're happy about the interface and you're like 82 Civic or whatever.
2: Like, <laughs> like you're so mad. No,
3: She's turning like bright
6: red I'm on furious. the camera right now. I'm
2: I just like, <laughs> <laughs> Why are you calling it that, Andy? Can you please help me?
6: It's like putting lipstick on a pig, a little bit, right? Because it's it's certainly the case that like infotainment in modern cars is a pretty hit or miss kind of concept, right? Like, you know, you mentioned Tesla, and one of the big things that people loved about Tesla was that it's just a much better way to interact with your infotainment system in your vehicle than say, you know, Sync Four and Ford or the iDrive system in BMW, which, you know, have over the years gotten better for sure, uh, but don't have a pretty strong foundation on which to stand. So I think you're seeing, this is why obviously systems like, you know, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto are so popular amongst people is because they just like don't want to deal with the crap that the car comes with. They just want their phone's screen on their car screen.
4: I have two things I want to say about this. One is that we all just said infotainment a bunch of times and nobody said anything about it.
3: So if if that's allowed, I think human machine interface is going to have to be fine. No, it is very funny. I agree with Alex on this. It is hilarious to think of the system in most GM cars or Ford sync as a human machine interface. Like, <laughs> if that's the best we can do, like, we should just give up. It's like, bad. let the machines do it.
4: Yes. I think <laughs> like, that thing where you put the cassette in and then plugged your iPod into the cassette, that was a perfect human machine interface. I don't need anything beautiful. else. I'm just saying, who picks the fonts on these things? Yeah. I'm fully coming around to Alex's <laughs> point of view.
2: They're so bad. Like, all of them are bad. And it just feels like whoever
3: picks the fonts for the interface at GM, like, we should find them. If you know who they are, call Put me. them on this show, because I have a number of questions. My second thing was that,
4: Andy, what I want to know is my my running theory for a couple of years has been that eventually a lot of these car manufacturers would just give up on caring about software and either just like build dumb boxes that you can plug your phone into because that works for a while, or there would be some third party who would like start to solve this and that would happen. But instead, what has happened is all of these companies have like centralized software development inside of their own companies. Why, why is this the strategy they've taken? Why do these companies care about making software? Shouldn't they just give up and make cars? Like there's plenty of other problems to deal with in the future of cars other than HMIs.
6: I mean, it's the tired old cliche that like, you know, the modern car is now just sort of like a a smartphone on wheels in a lot of ways that, you know, there's now this expectation that you're going to get uh, all these more, all this more interoperability and, and features, you know, uh, in the vehicle, you know, instead of just like a clunky button that you that you press to turn on the air conditioner, you have to go through five menus now, right? So it's something that I don't know that their customers necessarily want, but I do feel that the the OEMs in particular feel. Pressure in order to match with what Tesla is doing, and a lot of these new EV startups that are obviously putting a lot of emphasis on software. Uh, But I think it's really kind of leading to kind of a a situation where you get a lot of feature bloat. You know, I think you're going to reach a breaking point at a certain point with a lot of customers who just can't really—they just want buttons. You know, it's—it shouldn't be that difficult to. Give, give the people what they want.
4: So in that metaphor, we're like in that moment where in like the early 2000s, where every phone maker was making their own OS with their own app stores and they all were trash. And Qualcomm was like, here's brew. Do you want this? And we just have to like muscle through that and get to somewhere where actually some good software comes out of this.
3: No, no, no. no. You're at a slightly different place. You're okay. at the part where Android comes out. Like, okay. Literally Android again. So Ford is like. <laughs> outsourced most of its sync development to Google to build whatever next sync is on Android. Google has horrible names for this. So Google automotive services or gas is like, a thing you can have a gas car, <laughs> my gas powered electric car, I love it. Yeah, GM is running uh, Android on a bunch of stuff, with Google services, Toyota is doing Google services everywhere. That's Android. FCA, no, Stellantis, the company formerly known as FCA, runs a forked version of Android, which is a choice. And then they're all because you have to put in the chips in their smartphone chips right. effectively to run the stuff. They have GPUs and then you can say, "Okay, we're going to go buy Unreal Engine." And use that as our, our graphics layer to make this. So they're actually, like, they're one step further down. We're giving up the stuff we're definitely not good at. Like, the idea of Volvo making its own Unreal Engine, I think, is hilarious. Fair. It would be a very safe game engine. But, like, they know they can't do that. And so I think now they're looking at these, like, big chunks of software the same way they look at, like, seat suppliers or engine components. Is like, we need these foundational chunks, but we're, we'll build... The experience on top of it, and then Andy, I think the thing that like scares me about it is, in the end, the point is they want to take the steering wheel away from you, and they need to control the interface so they can put ads on those screens. Oh yeah,
6: one hundred percent. That's going to be sort of the outcome here. And and it was interesting because I, I I spoke with our gaming and entertainment editor Andrew Webster about this, and he has a lot of uh, experience covering Epic. And, you know, he, he made the, I thought, which, which I thought would do a really good point, which is that like, you know, Epic is really interested in in the automotive space because cars are so much easier to render than humans in a realistic way. <laughs> While they are obviously doing a lot of work in film and TV, the automotive industry is, is, is kind of like a little bit of a, a lower lift for them because they can just make, you know, this is why obviously there are so many racing games that come out. Uh, every year, there's just like easy thing for them to do to render uh, in, a re- in a realistic way, you know, a Volvo car and a screen to show you how much battery charge you have left, for instance, or where where you're going on your navigation system.
2: Just to clarify, what they did is that like they're not using Unreal to develop the user interface, human machine, whatever you want to call it. They hired them so they can use like the code to make a fancier version of the Vol- the car model.
3: Right. So the idea is, so like, the Rivian runs Unreal 2, right? A truck which is gr- slowly coming out of vaporware status. Like, every time anyone sees a Rivian, I get a tweet about it now. I saw one the other day. It was amazing. I spent a few hours driving around the other day. It was really fun. Great car. And the entire, both screens in the car are Unreal And so, like, all the user interface is running in Unreal Engine, but the big thing about the user interface is when you do stuff, when you change the modes of the car, it's showing you the car and the state of the car. That's just... Now, this is, like, fundamentally silly in one way, but on the other hand, it's, like, good user interface design. Is it? Yeah, because you're like, what door is open? And instead of looking at, like, the little icon, it's, like, it's just showing you the
2: car. Instead, it's a beautiful processor intensive rendering of your car like
3: what are you com- complaining about processor resources in a car just, it's got a battery the size of a city <laughs> it's gonna be fine
2: it's breaking my brain because you're
3: so mad I'm so at mad. Cars. Like
2: it's the exact same they're, they're facing the exact same issue that TV makers have faced right like TV makers are in the exact same position of we don't know software what do we do and TV makers eventually are like oh we outsource it to people that know software. And these guys are like, yeah, we're going to do that, but we're not going to outsource it to the people who know how to make user interfaces with the exceptions like gas. They're saying we're going (laughs) to outsource it to the guys who know how to make really cool looking cars in video games to make really cool looking cars on the screen that presumably like, how do you change the air? How do you do the air conditioning? How do you like, I feel like they're, they're putting the cart ahead of the horse here a lot. I feel like they're like, okay, we know we got to have flash and like, They're just misunderstanding the actual... Did you just
3: compare Unreal Engine to Flash? (laughs) Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic, is going to find you. The next time your doorbell rings, it's going to be Tim Sweeney. I guarantee you there was like a moment in that weird time when Flash was ascendant, when like some car company was like, and we're going to run the car on Flash. (laughs) It was
4: probably Subaru. (laughs) That's Alex's car. That's the
3: problem. So, Andy, this is a trend. You've been covering it. We've got a piece, like a big piece coming, right?
6: Yeah, we have a a freelancer who's working on a story about uh, sort of the convergence of the gaming industry and automotive and sort of what it's going to mean for the future of, you know... UI, for the future of autonomous vehicle technology. It, it seems like there's going to be a lot of opportunities for for more companies to come in, not just Epic, but possibly some of the other major competitors out, out there, because there's just such a, a mad rush into the EV and AV space. And, you know, if you get an EV, you have to, ex- there, there's the expectation that there's going to be, you know, a lot of uh, a gorgeous graphics on the inside and a lot of Uh, high-tech features. So it it just seems like this is a space that's going to be worth watching. So we're going to definitely be looking into that a little bit deeper.
3: And every time something (laughs) swoops on the screen, Alex will be there to be like, what a waste of processor resources. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just going to say,
4: there's a bunch of like screenshots and what look like, you know, cool futuristic renderings in in the story you wrote, Andy. And it just looks like Google Maps. It's like we got Unreal Engine to make us slightly prettier Google Maps. But for the average car company, that
3: is such a leap. I mean, fair. Like, I'm so proud of them, <laughs> right? They didn't fall down.
6: I mean, this is why if you look at any vehicle <laughs> on the road today in any, any city anywhere, it's got, uh, it's most likely has a, uh, a phone mount somewhere because people would yep. just rather look at their phones because the, the you know, the state of, of what is offered on, on the screen of their car is just not, is not acceptable for most people. They'd rather just deal with their phones.
3: Yeah. And I think that the the thing I call out in every car review that I watch, and poor Andy has heard this from me so many times, like every car, like Doug Demura, our, like our friend, one of the best car reviewers on YouTube, he will just like wave at the center screen after doing like 40 minutes of every intricate feature of the car. And he's like, and it has CarPlay and Android Auto. And that's like. Whatever software design that they did, he's like, and it has CarPlay and Android Auto. And like, that's a disaster for car companies, right? They're doing all of this work and none of it rises above and you can mirror your phone screen to it. So I I can see why they're doing the effort. I think one of the questions I have is when you get to auto- like actual autonomy, they've got to take the maps back from Google and build a UI that like you tell the car where you're going and you're using the car's navigation, not your like. I don't think that they've reckoned with that yet, except for, in many cases, they're just like, yeah, we're just going to let Google do it. <laughs> um, but there's no, there's no alternative path that I've seen yet. All right. That is, that's, so that's the screens and cars. Let's quickly talk about some real car news. We've talked about how expensive cars are among in the middle of the chip shortage and all that stuff lately. Your RAV4 Prime is going for $100,000. Great. Great success for everyone. Meantime, Andy and is slashing prices on the Bolt which seems crazy to me like
6: yeah it's it's really weird the the Chevy Bolt is now suddenly the the cheapest electric vehicle on the market or at least it, it will be uh you know later this year once uh, the 2023 models start start hitting the road they reduced the price around an average of 17% for both the um the Bolt EV which is the the hatchback and the EUV which is the slightly larger Crossover uh, hatchback thingy. It's not really an SUV, but it it wants to be. <laughs> I think it starts at about twenty six thousand five hundred ninety five dollars for the for the Bolt EV and twenty eight thousand one hundred and ninety five dollars for the EUV. Uh, that includes destination fees. So yeah, that's that's a pretty remarkable price. It undercuts the the, um, the latest version of the Nissan Leaf, which was the cheapest EV on the market, and certainly undercuts uh, the Tesla Model Three. Uh, which, even though had the aspiration of being a thirty five thousand dollars EV, uh, never never really hit that, and has basically hovered around the mid forties uh, for most of its uh, most of its time. So, uh, yeah, suddenly a, a pretty a pretty good deal out there if you can sort of get over the um, the massive recall that they had due to all the battery fires. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> so one hurdle. The other hurdle, I would say, is. One of the most strikingly ugly cars I've ever seen.
6: Oh yeah. It does not it's not easy on the eyes for sure. So I, I had a bull EUV a couple weeks ago for about a week. And yeah, while it was it's kind of clunky to look at and it's just not not that great design-wise, and there's just a lot of hard plastic all around, it gets the job done. It was, you know, it's surprisingly roomy on the inside. It's got a a lot of really great um uh pick me up. Uh, And, you know, I I found myself having more fun driving it than I originally anticipated. I thought I wasn't going to like, I didn't like driving the original EV, Bolt EV, but the EUV I I found to be uh, hitting a lot of sweet spots. Um, And uh, I'm actually in the middle of writing up a review of it right now.
4: Yeah. Reading this story, I I found myself vacillating between like, is this is this GM coming from a position of strength? Like, you know, we've hit economies of scale. This thing is is kind of working. We can we can lower the prices because we're in good position to do this. Or is this GM saying, oh my God, we made so many of these and two people have bought them. <laughs> Please take our cars. And by the end of it, and especially once I saw the picture, I, I just sort of assumed the answer was the second thing.
6: Yeah, I, I think it's a mixture of both. I think they're also, they're trying to uh, sort of come out with a statement that this is a, a, an affordable EV, which is the market has uh, very much lacked for a long time, especially with a lot of the new ones that have been coming out recently. They're more in the premium space. And I think GM's saying, you know, there needs to be a mass market EV. It was supposed to be the Tesla Model 3. It didn't quite get there, but obviously Tesla has has been selling them. Model 3 and the Model Y are the, are the biggest selling EVs uh, in the country. And I think GM's starting to say we're still very much committed to the idea of a mass market EV, and, and this is uh, one of the ways that we're going to do that um and i think it's also not a co- a coincidence that you know that uh, ford just started delivering the f150 lightning to customers too sure. so i think gm's trying to Steal a little bit of the spotlight by uh, coming out with this.
3: Deal. I'm sorry. If just if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the Chevy Bolt, just like look at a picture and then imagine trying to steal the spotlight from the <laughs> F-150 Lightning <laughs> with, with this thing. Like, it's good luck. Um, I just the, the, the Lightning is super marked up, right? Like 10, 20, $30,000 on Lightnings right now. Well. If You can find dealers that have them. And most dealers don't because they're all allocated. Uh, the Kia EV6. Uh Dan Sievert really wants to buy one. And I keep sending him listings where the MSRP is listed. He's like, no, no, the dealers actually mark them up once you inquire. Like down the line, cars are marked up over MSRP everywhere. And it just seems like so few people want and the battery fires and help. But it just seems remarkable that they're dropping the price on this. Do you think it's going to work?
6: Well, I think you also have to look sort of at the broader picture, which is that, which is that GM is not eligible for the federal uh, tax credit anymore either. So while they might have been able to lean on the tax credit, which is $7,500 per vehicle, uh, to shave off a little bit of that price and help make it a more attractive uh, vehicle for people who may not you know, necessarily want this car exactly, but they want something that is electric and they're tired of paying high gas prices and they're just ready to make that switch, uh, they they haven't been able to do that, so I think they had to make some sort of dramatic change to the pricing structure in order to uh, sweeten the pot for folks. And you know they're they're coming out with the uh, uh, you know uh, uh, the Silverado EV is coming out uh, next year, so they will have a, a truck to compete with the F one hundred and fifty Lightning. But in the meantime, you know the, what what GM actually has on the market today is this and the Hummer EV, which is like just like I think it's like one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. <laughs>
3: All right, let's talk about so another little piece of real car news. Ford just keeps making investment announcements. So now they're they're going to build EVs in, in Michigan?
6: Yeah, what a shock, right? Michigan. Uh, <laughs> who would have thought Ford, of all companies, would establish a manufacturing footprint in Michigan? No, they announced $3.7 billion in a manufacturing expansion in Michigan, Ohio, and Missouri. And they're going to be creating 6,200 new unionized jobs as part of this. And they uh, sort of hinted at plans for an updated Mustang and Ranger, gas-powered. And then also they teased a an electric commercial vehicle, which they didn't offer any specifics on, just that there's going to be a new electric commercial vehicle to come out to complement the e-transit van that they are um, in production with right now.
3: At this point, it seems like Ford is way ahead of, they're like investing in a lot of forward capacity. They're obviously assuming people are going to buy new Mustangs and commercial EVs. Where are they at with delivery of mach and Lightning's, right? Like, it's great that they're building more factories that will deliver cars five, year, five years from now. Are they catching up to where they need to be to compete or even get people their cars? I, slowly but
6: surely. So they, they actually just recorded their, their May delivery numbers at the same time as they made this announcement, and their EV uh, sales are up 220% compared to May 2021, which shouldn't be shocking because- uh, the only EV they had on the market in May 2021 was the uh, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, and that was that had just came out, so they were just ramping up production on that um, at that time. So uh, things are getting better. They've um, they said that they've delivered around 200. Of the Ford F- of the F one fifty Lightnings to dealers with many more in transit, and they say the the, the number that they're really excited about is that seventy five percent of the people who have reserved an F one fifty Lightning are new to Ford completely. So they're winning new customers, which for a company like Ford is a big deal because obviously they pay they play second fiddle to GM and to you know a lot of the the you know German and, and Japanese automakers. So that that's a big deal for them is is the converting of new customers to them.
2: What about their old customers, like converting to these, like all the truck drivers who are doing it for, I don't know, their construction businesses and stuff.
6: Yeah, that's gonna be a that's gonna be a big a big thing to watch watch for them as well, as because that's they're they're confident that they're gonna be able to flip those those folk because truck drivers are are very loyal to their brands. You know, so you know, someone who owns an F one fifty will buy a new one, you know, every five years or so, uh, for example. Um, and the same goes for, you know, Ram 1500s and Chevy Silverados. Like just people are just very loyal to those brands and those trucks. So I think if Ford can make a convincing argument to to flip those loyal customers while also, you know, making a big deal about the fact that it's winning new customers, you know, that they uh, will have a pretty, I think, winning marketing message there at the, at the very least.
3: I mean, I would say that the Ford versus Chevy, iOS versus Android, Mac versus Windows, Ford versus Chevy might be a even hotter war than iOS Android.
2: Where's Dodge in all this?
3: Well, they don't make them anymore. It's RAM. Yeah, it's
6: RAM. They spun out RAM, you know, uh, like what, uh, 10 years ago or so, or 15 years ago. And now, you know, Dodge is, they're coming out with uh, a bunch of muscle cars, electric muscle cars in the next few
3: years. They
2: are coming out with drawings. The way your eyes rolled, (laughs) Oh
3: Yes, I forgot. I think everybody heard it. No, like they announced, uh, RAM announced a a battery, RAM 1500 truck, straight up a drawing. Like, (laughs) they announced a drawing and they're going on a series of <clears throat> this is your question about like existing owners they're going to convene panels of ram owners around the country to find out what they really want in an electric truck the
2: one that exists and it's like
3: do you not know <laughs> is it <laughs> is it unclear the truck is going to be humongous and gas powered that's going to be their electric <laughs> truck <laughs> it's like what i what i want is a diesel engine <laughs> you want it to last a long time and be really fast like it's very very simple yeah. But they announced a drawing, and then their their e muscle cars, straight up drawings. Mm-hmm. They put out a con-
6: like a concept, uh, and they forgot to like erase the underlying uh, sketch that that they had applied uh, <laughs> the, the graphic on top of, so people could just sort of isolate out the the sketch that was underneath it and be like, oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna look like a ra- like a like a like a truck.
3: <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Guess what? A bunch of pre existing truck owners want out of a truck. For it to look like a truck. Look at the other hand of the equation. Look what happens when you get something
6: that you don't want to look like a truck, and you get the Cybertruck, right? That's yeah. That's that's the opposite end of of, of all of this.
3: Yeah, a, a, a triangle which they cannot figure out where to mount the windshield wiper on. Like, <laughs> the vaporware problem in the EV industry is out of control, which leads me to the vaporware section of the, this car, and then we got to wrap this up. So... Buick rebranded itself as an EV only automaker. Buick. They were <laughs> Buick is hilarious. They're promising a car by 2024, which is never.
2: I mean, it looks cool though.
3: Uh they didn't change the logo. I think the new logo is very nice. I agree. The three flags. Love it. Oof. It's good. It's very good. It's good. And then they released this concept car called the Wildcat, which I don't know if you've noticed, most car makers don't sell sedans anymore. So selling like a, a 1940s Buick. EV sedan is a very bold move.
2: I would buy this in a heartbeat. It's kind of hot looking.
6: It's
3: hot. Uh, it's like a shark. It's pretty sweet. And, and you can definitely murder Roger Rabbit. <laughs> is this is
2: like, when, when Cadillac did that big redesign, you know, remember a couple of years ago? Oh, a couple. It was like 20 years ago. They redesigned and tried to make them more like sports cars. This is the same energy where we're like, we're a big luxury brand. What if we did sports cars?
3: Yeah. So this is, uh, or, you know, the vaporware car of the week segment. So that Buick is doing that. This isn't a real car yet. And then DeLorean, <laughs> I mean, talk about announcing a drawing. They have fully announced a drawing called the alpha five EV. And I don't think they have thought through these doors at all. So it has the classic DeLorean gullwing doors, but you know how the Tesla Falcon doors kind of like fold yeah. so that they're useful. These are just like, there's a 90 degree angle. They open <laughs> three parking spots at all times.
6: That is going to sweep the hell out of whatever's parked next to it in the parking lot.
4: <laughs> it just yeah. seems like, oh, you didn't think this through. This car is so weird to me. I just, I had the weirdest experience just reading this story about this car. Like the, there's this image at the top of the story, which is from the back, the wings are open and it's just like, that's hot. That's a DeLorean. And then you get two paragraphs down and they show the front of the car. And it looks to me like one of those things I like whittled in Boy Scouts for like the, the, the thing, do you know what I mean? The stock car derby or whatever it was called. Right. The Pinewood Derby. That's yes, what it was. That's what it was. It, it just looks like it, you just sort of shaved it down for 20 minutes and that was your car. And then I look at it from the back and it's got cool lights across the back and it looks like a Tron thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm kind of into this. And then they definitely designed the
3: back of the car and not the front of the car. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent.
2: Did they make it an unreal engine?
6: In so (laughs) far as that it's unreal. Yes.
3: Yeah. So they are promising on showing this off on August 21st. Pebble Beach. We will see. 2030 what?
6: It will 100% be a static concept car, much like the, uh, the first Faraday Future car uh, that came out. It, I don't anticipate it being something that can move on its own accord.
3: Yeah, and then they're promising that this will come out in the next few years. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this car. Between Buick and DeLorean, two names that come up on the Vergecast all the time, <laughs> I'm going to say the, we will not see a shipping Buick until the second half of the decade. So way beyond twenty, and the DeLorean will never come out. Those are my those are my vaporware car predictions.
2: What if it ends up being just like a, a body kit for other cars? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you just start putting this on like a Chevy Bolt.
3: Well, you gotta you gotta put the doors on it. The doors look so insanely unworkable. Like they're right up there with the Cybertruck and the windshield wiper situation. Like you can't ship the Cybertruck unless it has windshield wipers, and they have not yet figured it out. There's no evidence that there's a solution to the Shock windshield wiper problem. Like Elon tweeted, like, our best solution is one giant wiper. That's not going to fly.
6: Keep in mind, this is not the real DeLorean motor company. I mean, that company went uh, bankrupt, you know, like Ford you New
3: know, York. Because the car sucked. Because people care about time machines, not DeLoreans. So yeah. Anyway, continue. And the founder
6: was caught in a sting operation, you know, uh, trafficking drugs and cocaine. Uh, Yeah. Which is, you know, that's cool. Uh, And very 80s and very much, you know, (laughs) the vein of what what DeLorean, you know, know, stood for. But this is a company that's um, now just owns the branding rights. So it's not even a car company. It's just a it's sort of like uh, a holding company that owns the branding rights. So
3: can I just read you this? Because you can sign you can sign up to reserve a DeLorean Alpha 5. Can I just read you this copy from the website? DeLorean is as eager as you are to enable a path to ownership of the iconic Alpha 5. Bridging the physical universe with the metaverse will be our path forward. We will advise all newsletter registered subscribers in late summer 2022 on how to join the journey to ownership.
2: Is this going to be an NFT?
3: Wait, are they saying that signing up for a newsletter is the Metaverse? I think so. Because <laughs> that's what I'm getting. It's good.
4: <laughs> this thing is going to show up in Fortnite, and you're going to be able to drive so fast in Fortnite, and the doors can open however you want in Fortnite. That's the beauty of it. It's yours. All right.
3: We have we've we've yelled about cars too much. Uh, if the DeLorean people are mad at me, you can prove that I'm right uh, by sending me a DeLorean and sending me a car. It's very simple. Uh, Andy, thank you so much. We got to take a break. We'll be back to wrap up WWC.
7: Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise.
3: Next week is Apple's WWDC, the Worldwide Developers Conference. It's, I would say it's like the Apple kickoff of the year, you know, and then you kind of get the two fall events usually. So first thing I say is David and I are going to be there. We are going to California and then we're going to go to Apple's camp. We're not just going to wander around <laughs> California. We're going to go to Apple and we're going to be at WWDC in person, which is very exciting. I'm unclear if we're going to see them do it on stage in person or if we're all just going to be like issued a DVD of the (laughs) keynote to watch quietly by ourselves. I can answer
4: this one for you. It is a viewing party is, is the thing that has been, they wanted to bring some people back. Like obviously it's, it's WWDC is as much like a, chance for developers to like hang out with each other and talk about how cool apple is as it is anything else and so they wanted to bring some of that vibe back and so they're bringing some developers in some staff in i don't know the exact numbers and breakdown but as far as i can tell what it amounts to is we're all going to sit in a theater and watch a pre-produced event on a screen together and i have a lot of questions about how that's going to go down and whether people will clap And whether there will be a musical guest at the end, but that it just, it seems like they, they just wanted to bring people back, but not at the risk of like putting executives in a room full of us on washed masses in which they might get sick. So we can be together. So we can be
3: (laughs) together, but not with Craig Federighi. Yeah. All right. Well, that will be fascinating. It'll be fun to see everybody. I miss going to these events very much. Different vibe will obviously be live logging. I would say there's a lot of noise in the air about whether Apple will show us some AR or VR stuff. And my sense of that is no. Like, maybe there'll be some developer-focused, like, here's the stuff you can – because that's what the show is for, you know?
2: I feel like we're not going to get the hardware, but I also remember so many times on this very podcast you saying when they finally show it off, it's going to be at an in-person event.
3: That I'll stick to that. I just don't think it's this in-person event. I don't think so. When they show it off, they're going to make David go into like a a hermetically sealed (laughs) capsule for two weeks so that he can like go, like I'm not going in that capsule, but you are buddy. Yeah. That's no, that's basically right. Right. Like I I think they have to do like a big in-person, like walk through thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just, we've heard a lot of noise about it with this one in particular. And I would just say that the rumbles in the air are very much like not yet, but maybe there'll be some like framework stuff
2: right?
3: because it's the reason that there's so many rumors is there's like snippets of code in the betas and stuff that's already starting to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I think what we're going to see now is Apple's been
4: doing, I went back and watched a bunch of Apple keynotes recently because it's what I do in my spare time (laughs) in particular looking for the AR stuff. And it's like, Apple's been talking about AR for a long time, but all it's ever shown is basically like different variations of the same demo, which is like you hold up your device, look into the camera and something appears on the other end. Like that's the only thing Apple has ever taught us about how AR is supposed to work. And my guess is if the headset is coming soon, which I think it it, there's enough smoke there that like it is it's not five years away, I don't think. And the thing Apple kind of needs to do and I suspect is going to start to do is like start to give hints about how all that stuff is going to work. Like little UI things and new things you can do with the camera. And like, to me, like live text, which Apple, which Apple announced at WWDC last year, which is like, you can hold up your camera and scan text and it'll actually pull that text into your phone and you can do stuff with it. That's, that's AR like that is an AR feature. Right. And I think we're going to start to see many more of those to the extent that it's going to be like, then when they reveal the headset, it'll be the sort of backing into it thing that jobs did with the iPhone, where it's like these things that already exist we're pulling them all together and showing you a new way to use them. And I think we're going to start to see like those first pieces at DubDub. That's my big theory for the year. I'd be shocked if we see hardware, though.
2: A bunch of highlights as they're going through like iOS and, and watchOS and everything. A bunch of highlights of like, oh, look at this thing that could also be useful for AR. Exactly. Probably without the pointed look at the camera.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's great. straight into the camera. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> You picking up what I'm yeah. laying down. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be amazing if you did that. But like, I think you're also going to see like developers who have AR apps being like, "Here's some new features that would be great if they were on all the time." Yeah, totally. Right? Because right now, because you're right. Like the number of AR demos where it's like four people walking around in a circle looking at iPads.
2: Yeah, yeah. it's like it's amazing. as a viewer, it's
3: just it's always been one of the least compelling things Apple has done. <laughs> it's like it's a it's a race between that and like someone playing an iPad game.
2: It's it's hard to watch it when you when you're in the room too because on 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 the stream they'll like cut to like the person's view and you can be like oh that kind of looks cool in the room you're just like watching a guy up on stage looking at his iPad yeah
3: you're like wow I bet those chess pieces do look alive yeah. like
2: that's probably really cool <laughs> you can
3: touch them on the screen <laughs> oh my god you're looking at fake Legos I'm looking at nothing yeah
4: <laughs> and I think just the, one last thing on this before we move on the the other thing that's happening in at this moment is like Google and snap and meta and all these companies are like really starting to push hard on their ideas about what ar interfaces are supposed to look like like it's not an accident that google showed that wacky google translate demo like they are trying to get out and say here is how we think this works uh and apple is usually pretty happy to be like the fast follower here to not be the one to like make big giant bets but i think if you're ever gonna take a big swing and like we've been talking about on their show like launch your revolutionary new input device this feels like a time to start at least giving people hints about what that's going to look like
3: i don't know that seems out of character for apple right like they're going to show it when it's done they're going to show it when at least their first conception of the interface is complete and uh, the comparison you're making i think it's the apple watch where the first version of the interface was wrong yes and the, they did a total reboot with the third generation but it was still complete right like they had a thing to say about the digital crown revolutionizing all of computing, whether or not that happened, but like,
2: (laughs) I mean, I don't think they're going to do a sizzle reel because they don't really do those. But at the same time, we did get the home pod where everybody was like sat in the audience and they're like, now you're going to listen to what a home pod could sound like in a giant audience (laughs) with very expensive speakers. And we're like, cool. Like I kind of worry, but also kind of want that to happen.
3: Now, my prediction for this is they're going to, th- this WWDC, they're going to announce a bunch of new AR features for the, for iOS and potentially iPadOS because the pros have the LiDAR sensor. Those will very clearly, if you read the tea leaves, be connected to how developers can make apps for a headset, but they will say nothing. And then they will be, when they announce it, they will have a standalone event with probably way tighter in-person protocols because they're going to want to demo the thing on, on your face.
4: Yep. And they'll say a lot of things about how, and it already works,
3: right? Like it's... Yep. And the app, here's the app ecosystem is ready to go. Yep. So I, I, think, I think we're going to get some like hints, nothing more. And the hints are going to come in the form of, look at these new capabilities for the phone. The thing I think we're actually expecting is new MacBook Air.
2: MacBook Air. And we're still waiting on the Mac...
3: Or maybe a Mac Pro.
2: Yeah, we're still waiting on the Mac Pro with the M1, presumably the M1, Ultra or whatever, and then the MacBook Air with the M2. Those are kind of like the two outstanding.
4: Would that be weird? It's like the most powerful one, but already we're like jumping a generation with the Air. I feel like,
3: I don't know. I don't know how to match those two things in my head.
2: Or they could skip M1 entirely for the, for the Mac Pro, right?
3: So they said very pointedly that they, had, they were going to transition the Mac Pro to Apple Silicon. They didn't say M1 or M2. So maybe the M2 starts with like the low end of the MacBook Air, and they're like, also the high end. It would be super
4: funny if they were like, we made the M1 Ultra, the Mac Studio is amazing, and then what amounts to like 15 minutes later, they're like, just kidding, we already have the next generation M2 Ultra Mac Pro, let's go. I
3: don't think they're going to do that. I don't think so either. There's more noise about the M2 MacBook Air out in the world coming at WWDC.
2: Yeah. But then the Mac Pro is stuck back in that place of like limbo, where we're just wondering what the hell is going on with the Mac Pro.
3: Which is a very familiar place for the Mac Pro to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the Mac sits. Studio is like filling the void. Like people aren't mad about the Mac Studio. So maybe that's they're true. waiting. It does seem likely that there will be some hardware for us to look at. That, yeah, whether I it's the, so. the M2 MacBook Air or the Mac Pro, I think, up for grabs. My guess is it's the M2 Air and then the Mac Pro later, much later, has like the Ultra version. Yeah. Right? Because the, the M1 Ultra is like, that's, that's as far as that can go. They can't staple any more of those chips together, as far as I understand.
2: And they've said that like the M1 Ultra, that's that's it. There's no bigger chips coming.
3: Yeah. So I, I would just guess that the Mac Pro maybe is an M2 situation. That'd be cool. Seems right to me. So you get the new air. But the cool thing, if there's a new air, the cool thing will be that it will be a form factor redo. Right. Because they didn't change the form factor at all with the M1. And obviously that form factor was designed for Intel chips. So if you don't need, like, like if you open an M1 MacBook Air in an Intel MacBook Air, you're like, oh, they needed a lot of, like, thermal shit in the <laughs> Intel one that's just not, it's just empty space in the M1. So I'm excited to see if they can make it smaller, if they can make it more compact. Like, there's a lot you could do with a MacBook Air if you're not dealing with fans and Intel chips. and
2: Although I wonder about the keyboard, because that, that's one of the reasons that they have to stay so thick, right, is, like to have the keyboard have actual travel, to escape the horror.
4: Apple no should invent fun. a new kind of keyboard that needs less travel. That's an idea that I had. Call it a butterfly keyboard. Just a teeny tiny little, barely even moves at all. Everybody will
3: love it. It'll go really well.
2: Just don't have any food with crumbs near it. <laughs> don't eat.
3: Yeah, we'll see. I, I I think the idea of like redesigning a uh, product like the MacBook Air is like a It's like one of the more, the thing is iconic. Yeah. They they literally could not stop selling it. They tried to stop selling it. People kept buying it when they did those original 13-inch MacBook Pros. So I'm curious to see if if it is the Air. I'm curious to see how they redesign it because it's a very important product. I'm also curious to see, like, the M1 MacBook Air is, like, pretty good. Yeah. Putting an M2 in it and a redesign. Like, you've got to, you're going to make the battery last longer? That would be great, but, like.
2: It's going to go more fast.
3: It's already a day. Like I I went to our office yesterday, traveled the entire day, worked the entire day in the office on my M1 Pro MacBook Pro, and I didn't even bring the charger with me.
2: I do not bring my charger to the office when I bring my M1 Air in. It just goes. Sometimes I'll forget to charge it overnight, and it'll still have plenty of battery this next day. Sometimes it won't. That's amazing. Don't Zoom all of your meetings.
3: (laughs) Don't Zoom. That's a bad thing. And obviously they're going to update all their operating systems. So there's this rumor that iPadOS is going to get better at multitasking, which means they have to completely revamp the multitasking. So we'll see if they talk about that. There's only the one move
4: left, right? Like I, I was, I was writing about this earlier and it's like, you can already do the thing where you can, you know, have them side by side. You can sort of drag them around, but it's like clunky and messy. And it's like the obvious answer is just something like free window multitasking. Like you have on a Mac that just is the answer. And I don't know where else there is to, like, if you have, if they have a thing where you're like, oh, you can drag one in from the top and the side and the bottom now. So you can have six apps layered on top. Like, that sucks. I don't want that. Give me regular multitasking.
2: Yeah, but if they resize it, uh, well, I guess used to it would lead you back to then why does Mac OS exist? But the M1s are so good that you're like, okay, I get why it exists now.
4: I, I think Apple is, like, increasingly comfortable with that answer not being obvious. Yeah. That like why does why does the MacBook Air exist? Is like if you want a MacBook Air, buy a MacBook Air. If you want an iPad, buy an iPad. They do a lot of the same things and some slightly different things. And I think Apple has like tried really hard to differentiate the two for like a decade and is finally leaning into the idea that these are just variations
3: on a theme and that's basically okay. At this point, when we ask that question in briefings, it's like talking to Alexa, right? (laughs) Like they, they hear the keyword and they're like many people who buy Macintoshes also buy iPads. They do different things. And it's like, there's no further answer. They're like, we sell everything. They told me for years in
4: those briefings that people didn't want a trackpad and cursor on the iPad. So they would just never do it like for years. And I was always like, you are wrong and you are lying to me and you will eventually do it. And, uh, I called several people at Apple after that happened and it was like, I told you, like, I got you. Motherfuckers. Uh, and, uh, and I think it's the same kind of thing, like that they did that and the Mac didn't instantly die.
3: Right. Like, I just want everyone to envision David in this theater during the cinematic experience where I have standing up and yelling, I got you. <laughs> and then I <laughs> threw a magic keyboard at everybody. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> so I, I think we're expecting to see some widget stuff on iOS some notification stuff They this is the stuff they tinker with every year. Yeah. Right. They still haven't quite figured out notifications. They still haven't quite figured out widgets. They still haven't quite figured out multitasking every year. It's new and different. And honestly, I think that's fine.
4: Just
2: bring growl back.
4: <laughs> yeah. I will say on, there, there's one piece of that that I think is actually bigger than you just described. If the rumors are true, What's coming is like more interactive widgets in which you can actually like do stuff rather than widgets just being basically big app icons that show you outdated information because they don't refresh very often. Having a thing that like even on the lock screen, you can actually do something without unlocking your phone or opening an app. That kind of stuff, I think, ends up potentially being pretty meaningful. The question is whether anybody will actually use it or adopt it. Like I had somebody the other day mention how cool app clips are to me. And I was like, Oh my God, app clips. I forgot about app clips. And it's the same sort of thing where it's like good idea about sort of later way to use your device. But, no one uses them. And so we all pretty much use smartphones the way that we always have. So I'm very curious to see if any of that actually takes. But I think this idea of, like, how do we make interactions lighter is a really interesting one.
2: It would be very weird for them this long after the widgets were introduced on Android to finally be like, widgets, we figured it out.
3: They don't care about Android. I know, but the- whatever. They they lift from Android is at will at this point. Android lifts from iOS at will at this point. And, like... We are the people, like us and the people listening to this are the only people who compare the platforms like that.
2: I just, the the widget situation has existed for so long and Apple's been like kind of dicking around with it for, for decades now. Right? Like it was on original. When they
3: killed dashboard and Mac OS, that was the saddest day in computing history.
2: It was horrible. And like they did, there were the widgets and now they're like, no, guess what we're going to do now? Widgets. And it's like, y'all did it. And you didn't love it enough. Will you love it this time, Apple?
3: I used to have the greatest dashboard widget of all time. It's called Chrono Slider. And it would you just hold it like four time zones. Uh-huh. And then it had a slider. And you could slide back and forth in time. Yes. And it would tell you what time it was in all the time zones. So we would have people in uh, London. We had people in Amsterdam. And we had people in Japan. And I wouldn't just screw with them all the time. Because I knew what time it was. Because I had a dashboard widget. And now all bets are off. <laughs> Who knows what time it is?
4: <laughs> just messaging everybody 24 hours a day. <laughs> All dashboards fault. All
3: right, so that's iOS, iPadOS. I hear what you're saying. Like, it seems like they're trying to create some new interaction models. They're maybe more lightweight, but they're going to tinker with things I always tinker with. No rumors really about watchOS?
2: Not a lot. Just, we'll focus on health more.
3: Yeah, the rumor is just health! Exclamation point. Like, that's it. <laughs> no rumors about tvOS, even though they own a fairly successful TV streaming. Like, it's weird. There's like a total lack of information about all of their other OS's. Here's a rumor about tvOS for you. There's going to be a
4: long commercial that prominently involves Ted Lasso. There, there's, oh. there's your rumor about tvOS.
2: <laughs> like I think the, the operating system's in a pretty solid place right now.
3: The operating system is still in its like completely split personality zone, right? Where they actually, oh, here's the, here's the conspiracy theory. I'll wind for you. They have never been able to make the TV app the home screen, Mm -hmm. which is what they've wanted to since the thing began. Right. They weren't able to because they couldn't get everybody to participate in a recommendation system. Right. Most notably Netflix, Netflix, which is now on its back feet a little bit and needs needs to show its value to subscribers. Maybe this is maybe this is the moment that Eddie Q is waiting for. Dude's going to wake up and be like, I got you and get Netflix in the recommendation system. And they're going to they're finally going to flip the interface, the TV app.
2: I mean, that's what they want to do.
3: That's what they want to do. I don't know if Netflix is actually going to participate in a recommendation system, but this is the moment for Apple to strike and say, well, you want to stop turning subscribers? Like, start like the reason Netflix doesn't want to be in the recommendation systems of Roku or whatever, Apple TV or Google, or, is once you're in the Netflix app, they want to keep you there. Right. And their problem is people are like, but I would like to leave the Netflix app and watch whatever's on HBO Max or Apple TV+. Plus."
2: I mean, we did notice that like right now, if you're in the Apple TV app, you can go and search like Netflix specific shows and it'll actually show you those shows. But it's really buggy and weird. Like we were kind of poking around at it to figure out Chris Welch and I were like, is this like a working as it's supposed to? Is this like some secret test for for Netflix coming to it? And it seems like it's mainly just working like it's supposed to, which is buggy as hell and broken. So, when you go in and you look up, I don't know, Stranger Things, it'll let you follow Stranger Things and it'll let you open the Netflix app and that's it. But it won't let you track the show like you do the other shows of the TV app.
3: Yeah, that just seems like, right, it's like broken.
4: So, yeah. it might be
2: coming. Just- It could be.
4: Well, Netflix has traditionally been willing to be part of the like universal search systems. Like if you go on Roku and search stranger things, it'll show up in the universal search. They were weird about Apple for reasons I don't claim to understand, but Netflix has at least been willing to be part of that in other places. So I assume it's, it'll eventually come around there too. What it hasn't wanted to do is like give up any part of the interface where it's like, here are the shows you're watching. Netflix does not want to be next to other services. And now I think, I think you might be right that this is probably the weakest negotiating position Netflix has been in in a long time. And that may tip some of this stuff.
2: And Apple's keen for it too. Like every time I've spoken with people at Apple about it, they're like, yeah, talk to Netflix.
3: Well, right. I mean, the, 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 like the thing you shouldn't say, which you could say is, well, people are quitting your service. They don't care if Netflix recommendations are on the screen anymore. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But it's still big and you want to be nice. So the thing you would actually say is if you let us recommend your service, we will show people shows on Netflix, even if they're not subscribers, and hopefully drive you some subs.
2: Which is what they're doing with all the other platforms.
3: Yeah, a little little carrot, little stick. This is Eddie Q's time to shine, man. You Warriors are Eddie. in the finals. Like Eddie's <laughs> in the in his element.
4: Yeah, he's he's kicking it. He's calling Reed from the sidelines of the finals games. This is going to be amazing. Um, I should say, I, I we were wrong about WatchOS. There is one inkling that there might be something bigger going on about like, uh, Mark Gurman at Bloomberg, who is pretty much always right about these things said something about it, It's like affecting day-to-day operating and navigation. So like there might actually be some new UI shift. Maybe this is the first AR device. Maybe they've like solved holograms Ooh, on watch OS right. and that's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be AR. Um, but I think
2: I love the optimism.
4: Maybe this will be the the death of that stupid, app flower thing uh once and for all and uh would make my life
3: much better i use the app flower
2: why i killed it immediately i do the list
3: well because i don't need the list shows you all of your apps so like i don't want to like the app flower is like you've got the clock in the center and there's only three icons i ever click
2: it shows me all of them
3: it's the walkie-talkie it's my two-factor app and it wait it might just be two (laughs) so if you have the list you gotta scroll with the, the flower you're just like beep bop Boop boop. <laughs> <laughs> that's
4: that's the change to watch OS. Is it now makes those noises anytime you do anything. It's it's celebrities saying you don't make boop. those
3: sounds when you use your <laughs> Okay, and then have we heard anything about
4: macOS? The rumor is it's going to be called Mammoth, and there are apparently some new app designs coming. One of the things that keeps coming up is a redesign to system preferences. Which, if that is the that that is the main rumor, tells you everything you need to know about. I think what's coming for Mac. System preferences.
3: Well, we'll be there. We'll be there watching the video along with you, but together, (laughs) which will be nice. Yeah. Live login, the whole thing. We'll have tons of coverage on the site. That's happening on Monday. We have gone way over, just like wildly over. I just want to mention one thing. Google, and this is like maybe the biggest news of the week. We should have led the whole show with it. Google is combining Meet and Duo into a single app for voice calls, and it it has a new messaging strategy.
2: I I was looking at David's story, like checking it to make sure he didn't put weird typos in there. And that was me learning that they weren't already combined.
3: The number of people who tweeted at me and said something along the lines of, Deer is already having an impact was very <laughs> high. Yeah, it was amazing.
4: <laughs> Unfortunately, we are already way over, so I should not give the full explanation for how this works, because it takes several hours. But the very <laughs> short version of the story, as I understand it, is that Google had these two apps. One Duo was like a FaceTime, WhatsApp-y kind of messaging app. Meet was its Zoom competitor. Meet got basically all of Google's resources over the last couple of years because it became super important for work from home and all that stuff. So it became this very rich platform, but duo works really well, both for like, you can actually call someone and it'll like ring their device, which is a thing meat can't do. And also it works really well in places with bad network connectivity, which is very important for calls and video, uh, especially globally. So Google's actually bundling it all into meet the idea is that it should have all the features of both apps because google loves feature bloat more than any other company on planet earth and it's the mobile app is actually going to be based on duo and the part that's so insane to me is if you currently use duo at some time in the near future, your Duo app will be renamed Meet, and that will be the Meet app. But if you also have Meet on your phone, Meet and will eventually God. be renamed to over. Meet we, Original. We, we're way over. It just gotta, keeps getting insane from there. I don't know what's happening. Someday there will be Google Meet,
3: <laughs> and only Google Meet is the point. <laughs> so what, what just
2: happened. <laughs> but not anytime soon.
3: In related news, Google had to shut down RCS in India because of an enormous spam problem that they didn't see coming, which, amazing. They're doing great over there. If you want to send a message to someone on a Google platform God bless you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fine. Okay, that's it. Like I said, WWC is next week. Lots of news. Going to be a good time. Uh, some stuff to shout out here. We had a really great feature on climate change and birding from uh, our features editor Kevin Wynn. It's called A Once-in-a-Lifetime Bird. And the only reason I want to say this because I think that's one of the funniest headlines we've ever published. It's very good. Just a once-in-a-lifetime bird on TheVerge.com. Check it out. It's a great story. Uh, really well done. Decoder this week was the president of the Blockchain Association of Ukraine. Which is a fascinating. My crypto journey continues, where I ask questions like, if you replace the government with a DAO, won't you have the problems of DAOs? And then people say things like, yeah, but well we should try. It just keeps happening. It's very entertaining. <laughs> I encourage you to listen to it. Next week, speaking of Apple, uh, Zoe Schiffer is coming on to talk about uh, the unionization effort at Apple stores, how it's working and how it might change the company. That's coming. We're going to do that on Monday um, instead of Tuesday, because on Tuesday we'll be flooded with WBC news after WW. That's it. You can tweet at us. Thanks to Andy for coming on. He's at Andy Jayhawk. Thanks also to Heath for coming on. He's at Alex E. Heath. Alex Kranz. Alex H. Kranz. David is at Pierce. I am at Reckless. That's it. We did it. We went Woo. shockingly over. That's the Vergecast. Rock and roll.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's show. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email at vergecast@theverge.com. And if you liked the show, share it with a friend. VergeCast is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today's episode was produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. Our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. That's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at Canva.com. Designed for work.
7: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of.